Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Our text this morning is verse 29 and 30. And the title of the sermon is Speak Words of Grace. Speak Words of Grace. I'm going to start off by reading... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Would you follow along with me? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is Christ's word. Well, in front of this person was a cabinet and a loose screw. And so as this person looked around to figure out how to tighten that screw down, they couldn't find anything except in front of them was a steak knife. And this person might be you. And they took this steak knife and they put it into that screw, that flathead screw, and they tried to tighten it. And they, you probably guessed it, broke off the end of that steak knife. Has that happened to anyone in here? Okay. Well, if you did that, you used that steak knife for the wrong purpose. Steak knives are meant to cut meat. And if you go to our house, we probably have two or three steak knives that have the end broken off. Tools have a purpose, right? If you're going to tighten up a a screw, you're going to use a screwdriver. If you're going to cut a piece of meat, you're going to use a knife. This morning, we are looking at the gift God has given to us of speech, which is really a tool that God has given to us to be able to minister grace to other people. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, the Holy Spirit instructs us of how we are to use our words to minister grace. And really what these two verses represent is the restoration of our speech into the image of God. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And being in the image of God meant that that we were fashioned to represent God. We were fashioned to relate to God and to resemble God. And to relate to him means that God made us so that we would live in fellowship with him that we would worship him and love him. To represent God means that he put us here to, to govern his creation with creativity and responsibility. And to resemble God means that he designed us physically and spiritually to image, to reflect who he is invisibly. So God is a spirit. He's invisible, but he created us with physical parts and spiritual parts that image, that reflect him. 
And one of the most important features of a human made in the image of God is that we are able to speak, which is really unique to creatures that have physical bodies, right? This morning I saw my little dog, my bell, my puppy. Well, it's nine years old, not really a puppy, but a little small dog. And I said, hi, Belle, how you doing? And she just looked back at me and didn't say anything. You know why that is? Because God created us with the ability to speak. It's unique to us because God designed us to be able to use words to worship him, to love him, to glorify him. And one way we do that is by using our words to love other people. In Genesis chapter 3, what we find is sin entered into the heart of man and woman. And, and though they were still in the image of God, right? Because God allowed them to continue to use their words. They still imaged God in that way. The image of God was distorted. It was marred. It wasn't what God wanted them to be like. They spoke now not to worship God, but in worship of self. And their words were now used to hurt and to harm God's special creatures made in his image, other people. And so you see that, where Adam blames his wife for his sin. Not my fault. You gave me her, you know. I wouldn't have had her. And, and they dishonor the Lord in their words. And so what you see in Ephesians chapter 4 here is God's restoring within us the image of God. In fact, would you do this with me? Would you look down in verse 17 19? And I'm not going to go through all these, but I want to remind you of what we learned over the past few weeks. Because in verses 17 and 19, the whole inner person, the, the nature of man, the mind of man, the will, desires are all corrupt. And then if you look in verse 20, you can see that's God's rescue plan for us. We learn Christ. We learn the gospel. We believe the gospel. And when we do that, Verses 22, 23, 24, God transforms our nature. He applies the gospel to us. That is that he applies the death, burial, and resurrection to us. Verse 24, he gives us a new nature, right? He creates with us, in us, the image of God. So we are now like Christ in the image, or in our nature, I should say. He gives us the mind of Christ, which means that we are able to have the Holy Spirit help us Renew us to think like Christ. We have the word of God that restores our thinking to be true thoughts about God. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to put off the old ways and to put on Christ's likeness. And so now if you, when we look at verses 29 through 32, we see this new rhythm of life. We put off, we put on Christ's likeness, and we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds, that's what verse 23 calls us to do. And so as you look at verse 29 through 30, you should, as we read through it, you should have thought about what is that which God wants us to put off? What is that which God wants us to put on, the Christ-likeness? And also, and I would say most importantly, how does the Holy Spirit want to change my thinking about who God is and about my circumstances? So if you look at verse 29, let me ask this question, where's the put off? What do we put off in verse 29? Our corrupt speech, our corrupt talk. What are we to put on? What are we to put on in verse 29? 
Okay, speech that's good, that builds up, that fits the occasion. And then here's the question, what is the truth of Christ that renews our mind? Well, it's the end of verse 29, the purpose of our words, and it's verse 30 as well. And so what I really want to do this morning is start with the end of verse 29 and with verse 30 and really allow this truth, these truths right here, to renew our thinking. Because remember, God's God's approach to change is that he has changed our nature. We're in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in Christ. And his daily work now is to change our thinking. And therefore, from that, he changes our behavior. You could summarize this text like this. And this is in your notes in the bulletin. Or you could write this down. And that is this. That God gave you the gift of speech and the spirit to minister grace. So you must put off corrupt words and only speak good, edifying, timely words. So the truth that must renew our thinking this morning is this, and that is that God gave you the gift of speaking and the Spirit of God so you would minister grace to minister grace to one another. The end of verse 29. Notice the Scripture says in verse 29, that, here's the purpose of your speech, that it may give grace to those who hear. Why did God give you a mouth to speak? There was a man and a woman who were at home, and a husband wife, and she read something in an article, and she said, husband, did you, do you realize that women speak double the amount of words as men? And she turned to him, and of course he, uh, uh, whatever. And she said, why do you think that is? And he said, what'd you say? Okay, some of you didn't get that. So she said it again, if that helps you out. But, But why did God give maybe women the gift to be able to speak more than men? And why did God give us the ability to speak? Well, here he gives us the purpose at the end of verse 29. And that is our mouths are to be channels of grace through which God uses us to minister to one another. The scripture is called the word of grace. So what I'm preaching to you right now, when I explain God's word and read God's word, it's God's grace coming into your ears and into your heart. The spirit is the spirit of grace. His work provides grace. His work is a work of grace. And so as the Holy Spirit fills your heart with grace, then your mouth is to dispense that grace to one another. It's like your mouth is a faucet that is to pour forth the grace of God. And as the living water of Christ springs up in you, you are to open up your mouth And what should come out are life-giving words. So this is the grace that God gives to us that we are to speak to others. In fact, grace is one of Paul's favorite words in this letter to the Ephesians. And every time, except one time, every time in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses the word grace speaking about God giving favor to those who don't deserve it. See, this word grace 
is a word that communicates God loves us, and therefore God gives to us. And he doesn't give to you because you're a lovely person, or I'm a lovely person. He doesn't give to us because we've done things for him. It's undeserved give, uh, grace. It's giving what's undeserved. God loves us. God favors us only because of what Christ has done for us. Not because of what you have done. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, if you think that you've earned God's grace, you're boasting. And can we remind ourselves, there's no one in heaven that has any thought of boast about themselves. Every person that's in heaven right now has this thought right now. I was a great sinner, and he, Jesus Christ, is the great Savior, and I'm only here by grace. But what you find in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, is you find God just over and over talking about his grace. In fact, notice this. I'll just put it on the screen up here. I'll just give you a couple examples. Ephesians 1, 7. God's grace gave us redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, Ephesians chapter 1 is like God just pouring out grace upon us. Ephesians chapter 2 is the same thing. It's by grace we're saved. You're rescued by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that he was given grace to preach to the Gentiles. Grace called him. Grace empowered him. In Ephesians 4, grace is given to each one of us. God's grace gave us God's word through the apostles and prophets. God's grace gave us pastors. God's grace gave us, gives us the church. So God is pouring out his grace. The only verse in Ephesians that speaks of grace coming from us is Ephesians 4 and verse 29. And it's as if the riches of God's grace are piled high like a mountain. And we stand at the foot of that mountain. And it's our great job, our great duty, our great delight to pass out the grace of God to other people. This is how we should think about the gift of our words. And this is how Jesus lived his life, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke words of grace. I mean, he went up to that, to, in Samaria and went to the, the well, and there was the Samaritan woman. There was a, a serial adulterous woman she was a Samaritan, and most Jews would have approached her and either cursed her or walked away. They would have said something that would have been sharp and cutting. But there Jesus was with this woman, and he spoke in a way that invited her to know him as the Savior. He revealed her, her sin, but even did it in a gentle way, asked some questions, but ultimately revealed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' words of grace sometimes were direct. He warned the Pharisees of judgment to come because they were rejecting God's word. They rejected him as the Savior. On the cross, I think, is probably one of the most profound examples of the words of grace of Jesus. Because as he was suffering for our sins in his greatest time of need, he looked down at one point and saw his mother and the apostle John and he thought about caring for his mother's earthly needs. And he said to the Apostle John, he said, Behold your mother. And just those few words were saying, Take care of her. She has earthly needs. Think about as people were 
scoffing him and mocking him while he was on that cross. His words prayed to his father, Father, forgive them. Think about as he was next to a, a criminal on the cross, and that criminal was dying justly for his sins. And he asked for grace from Jesus, and Jesus' words of grace promised him that he would be in heaven with him in paradise that day. Jesus spoke words of grace, and God has given us the ability to communicate with words so that we would be channels of grace like Jesus Christ. So every time we open our mouth, we must ask ourselves this question. Am I ministering grace right now? Are these words that I'm about to speak, are they coming from the Holy Spirit? And it's not just a, a negative, like, oh, don't say these words then. It's actually, what does the Holy Spirit want me to say right now? Right? That, that's the, it's the positive. It's like, I get up in the morning and I see my spouse or my kids or, or someone else. And my question is, how can I bless them today? How can I minister with my words to them today? I read a story about Paula Kirk. She was going through the airport. She's a, she's a writer, and she was going through the airport, and she was coming back from visiting her daughter. And her daughter had been married for a year, and her husband left her. So her daughter was obviously in a very traumatic, difficult time. So she visited her and came back, walking through the airport, and her heart was just full of sorrow. And she thought about her daughter and all the difficulty with that. And there was a lady that talked to her, and the lady said, isn't it a beautiful day? Yeah, she wasn't really thinking about talking about that right then, right? And Paula, Paula said, yes, it is. Paula's a believer in the Lord Jesus, so she said, yes, it is. And, and this lady said, God gave us such a wonderful earth to enjoy, didn't he? And she said, yes. And this lady said, did you enjoy your vacation? And so Paula thought she should tell her. Well, I wasn't on vacation. I was visiting my daughter. She was in a very difficult time of need. And the lady said, God is good. Trust him and his goodness. And that lady went on to minister to Paula in a time of need. And it's interesting because that lady had the awareness that this lady needed to be ministered to at that time. That's ministering with grace. It's saying, how can I use my words to encourage, to comfort, sometimes to confront if necessary? And I think we have to all confess that we fall short in ministering grace with our words, right? But that's why it's such a blessing to read verse 30. Notice verse number 30. Here the the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to speak these words. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve this, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, so God gave us the gift of speech and the Holy Spirit to minister grace. James says that the tongue is impossible to control. It's like a wildfire. It's out of control. Who can control their tongue? And his conclusion? No one can. Except there's one that can. And that is God through the person of the Holy Spirit. 
So here in verse 30, it's, this verse 30 is connected to verse 29. And the question is how? How is that connected to verse 29? Well, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper to empower us with his grace so that we can speak words of grace. And, and here's how it's connected. When you resist the Holy Spirit, when you don't use your words in the way that, that the Holy Spirit designed your body and your, your mind and your heart to work, when you actually don't build up but use corrupting words and tear people down, the Holy Spirit is grieved by that. That's what it says. Don't do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The word to be grieved means to be sorrowful, to be sad. It's the word used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 37. It describes Jesus' sorrow as he was in that garden and he contemplated the next day he would hang on that cross and his fellowship with his father would be temporarily broken and, and he grieved over that. And the Holy Spirit, he grieves when our fellowship with him is broken, when we use our words that are corrupt, when we use our words to tear down instead of to build up. And the fact that the Holy Spirit grieves demonstrates to us that the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not like a light switch. You turn the Holy Spirit on and you turn him off. It's not how it works. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person that we submit to. He's a person that we love. He's a person we trust. And this also tells us the Holy Spirit, he cares for you. He loves for you. Yeah, we, we talk about the Father loves us. We talk about the, the, the Son loves us. But do you realize the Holy Spirit, he loves you. He's with you. And when we sin against him, he grieves over that. It's a sorrow that is full of love for us because we've sinned against him. It's like a child who, who wants to put a toy together and the dad comes in and says, well, let me help you do that. And he's, no, no, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself, you know? And so the, the child's frustrated trying to put it together and eventually gets so frustrated, throws it down, breaks the toy and the dad grieves. The dad's sad. Why would the dad be sad? Because he loved that toy? No, because he loves the son. And he wanted to help that son, but his son resisted, his son refused. And that's, that's the, the heart of the Holy Spirit. This Ephesians 4.30 is a quote, the beginning is a quote from Isaiah 63. So would you go to Isaiah 63 with me? I want to show this to you, demonstrate this to you. I think you'll find this to be interesting, but also very helpful as we consider how the Holy Spirit can renew our thinking. Right, Because that's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit must renew our thinking to think like Christ. Isaiah chapter 63 is a fascinating passage. It recalls how God led Israel through the wilderness. This passage presents God, the triune God, and how he worked with Israel, how he loved them. In fact, look in verse number 7, Isaiah 63, 7. Notice God's love for his people. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord. And then he just goes through and talks about that, like his goodness, his abundance of his, of his steadfast love. And then notice in verse number 9, 
Here he loved them by having his angel of presence. So the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them. Hey, let me ask you this question. Who's that right there? Who is the angel of his presence? Who is the angel of his presence? Well, this is the son of God. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. Do you realize it was the pre-incarnate Christ who saved Israel from slavery, who led Israel through the wilderness. It was the pre-incarnate Christ who, who spoke to Moses through the Shekinah glory. So you're seeing the Trinity here. You're seeing the triune God at work with Israel. Consider the grace of God and his love for them. And notice verse number 10. What? Verse number 10 says what? And this is the quote. Part of this is a quote from Ephesians 4.30. But they, that's Israel, rebelled, and then notice this is the quote, and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now, how did they rebel? Remember how they did it? They did it with their words. They complained. They griped. They slandered Moses. They gossiped. Right? They sinned against God with their words. It, was, it wasn't like... We might think of it, oh, what was the grand sins? Well, some of the sins that we can read about that God brought judgment upon them for were complaining about food, griping about things they don't have. And then notice what happens at the end of verse 10. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself, this is God, fought against them. Now, now go back to Ephesians chapter 4, because I want to connect this to Ephesians 4. So go back to Ephesians 4, and consider this as we turn back there. Did you realize the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament? You know, some people might be surprised. They might see this and say, well, wait a second. Didn't the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? Yes, he did. He came in a different way. But the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, See, there's no such thing as a spiritual work of God without the Holy Spirit. And so he was at work, but his work was different. different. And in, in what way was it different? Well, there's a, a couple of ways, but the primary difference is this. In, in Isaiah 63.10, when they grieved the Spirit, how did God respond? He says, you are now my enemy. But notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, how does God respond when we grieve him, he says, you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, for Israel, the, the, the Holy Spirit was a temporary blessing for them. That if they grieved the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was not promised to stay with them and empower them. But for believers, for us in the New Testament, for those in Christ, this is, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this started, this seal became a reality at Salvation, when we believe the gospel, Ephesians 1.13 starts off this letter by saying, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and you were sealed with the promise, promised Holy Spirit. A seal was a permanent mark of ownership. Letters were sealed with the Caesar's mark of ownership. It meant that he's the one who sent this letter. Maybe today we might think of it as an animal that gets branded. And so that owner puts a seal upon him. It's a permanent mark of ownership. 
Or some of you have books. Maybe some of you have books. That's something that still happens. And in the front of that book, you have a seal or you've written your name or somehow you've said, this is my book. You've marked it with your stamp, your seal of ownership. And so God has put within us his seal of ownership. It's the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And notice in verse number 30 that this promise, the seal of the Holy Spirit is something we're sealed with till the day of redemption. The day of redemption is that future time when the Holy Spirit completely changes our body, our, our soul, our mind, our heart. We're completely changed in body and soul to be like Jesus Christ. This is what we learned about in 1 Corinthians 15. So here's the promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit is going to keep loving you and keep working on you. He's not going to give up on you. He's going to keep doing it until the day of Christ. And what's his work in our life? I mean, what's his work on the day of redemption? It's the work to completely make us like Christ. What's his work in our life now? It's to continue to make you like Jesus Christ. So here's the hope of verse 30. And that is the Holy Spirit is within you. And he is to empower you. He is to renew your thinking. He is to so control you that you honor the Lord in your heart. You, the grace of God fills up your heart and what comes out of your mouth is the grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. So we must be renewed. We must be renewed with this truth. And, and can, we just, can I just park on this for 10 seconds and say, this is the most important part. Because right here, you have to live this out in relationship to the Holy Spirit. This is not a do this, do this, do this, go home and try better. This is go on your knees before the Holy Spirit and say, I need to think like Christ. I need you to get a hold of my heart. And I'm speaking these words because I'm full of me and I'm not full of you. So may God change our mind in that way. And then we are to... Therefore, put off corrupt words. Notice verse number 29. Verse 29 reads, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word corrupt is used in Matthew 13, 48 to describe the rottenness of fish. So think about that. Think about the smell. Think about the, the effect of spoiled, corrupt fish. I read a news article on grist.org. It tells a story about these men that were on this 85 or 89-foot trawler, and they had a bunch of fish they caught, but then they left a lot of it down in the, the hold, and it was down there for a number of days, and the fish began to rot. It, it smelled like rotten eggs times one million and as the fishermen, a couple days later, opened up the hatch, the stench was painful to the eyes. They gagged, some threw up, their nose and their mouth burned from the gaseous smell of those rotting fish. One fisherman went down into the hold there to try to clean some things up. He was overcome and he fell unconscious. The next guy went down to try to help him and he was incapacitated too. Finally, they learned their lesson. The third one went down with the breathing apparatus and he rescued them. And so I read that and I thought, wow, I guess 
rotting fish can have an effect on you. But it's really not, even in comparison to the effect that corrupt, rotting words can have upon a person. Right? Because rotting, corrupt uh, fish can affect your senses. It can affect your body. But rotting, corrupt words can affect the soul. So what are some of these examples of rotten words? Let's list a couple. Number one, name-calling, labeling a person. And I'm just going to give some examples. I wouldn't, I don't want to offend anyone, but just let me give some examples. Things like this. You're an idiot. You're lazy. You liar. Right? Those are things that we say to people. And we're intending to do that sometimes in jest. It's funny, but actually it's hurtful to them. It doesn't build them up. It's not using our words to love God and love others. Or how about the words of comparison? You're just like your mother. Like, you're acting like a three-year-old. How about the words that unrighteously criticize one another? Or how about crude words? Ephesians 5, 4 addresses this, talking about, talking about foolish talk, filthiness, crude joking. It's, it's using a word that's innocent, but giving it a double meaning. So everyone laughs at it, or at least those who have a corrupt mind laugh at it. it it's, it's doing the innuendo, it's, it's improper speech. I mean, this is when you watch many movies, comedians, right? They don't know how to truly be funny anymore. The way for them to be funny is to tell sexual jokes, to tell crude jokes. This is also, corrupt words are also words like cursing God's name, taking the Lord's name in vain, or cutting down other people to size. And lastly, I think another one is, I think I have crude words in there twice. Well, I guess we needed that twice, didn't we? And criticizing twice, well... What can I say? Some of these aren't on here, I guess, then. Words of gossip. Right? It's speaking negatively about another person when you're not a part of the Matthew 18 solution. What do we mean by the Matthew 18 solution? It means your goal is to reconcile them and you're a part of that, that church network that's trying to do that in their life. But if you're not a part of that and you speak negatively of someone else, then you are gossiping. It's slander. It's malice. And so we have to identify the ways that we speak in, or the, how we speak corrupt words, we have to also identify where that comes from. It comes from within our heart. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means what? Which means we say what we say because we think what we think, right? That's what we've been learning which means we need to stop saying, when we say something that we know is wrong, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Or, or well, I only said that because you said this. Now, we need to be honest with ourselves and with those around us. We need to confess the reason, reason I spoke those words, because they're corrupt. Because they come from a heart that loves self. That's the truth, right? The reason... I snapped this morning at you is because my heart is controlled by me and, and therefore I'm trying to control everyone around me. 
The reason I embarrassed you with those words is because my heart delights in putting you down and exalting myself. And so we're recognizing that the problem isn't just what we're saying. The problem is what we're thinking. The problem is who's ruling our hearts. So here Paul is not teaching, stop saying these words. It's not what he's teaching. He's saying that you need to check your heart. Because notice in verse 29, notice he says, it comes out. It's something that proceeds forth. These are words that come out. Where do these words come out of? They come out of the heart. I think, parents, can I just give you some, something to think about? When our kids, and kids, when you, if you're in here too, kids, when you say things that are corrupt, parents, when you address your kids' corrupt words, the solution is not stop saying things like that. Don't talk about your mother in that way. You know? That's not the solution, actually. The solution is that you need to have God get a hold of your heart. You need God to change your heart. And, I, and let me just put an asterisk on here. And that is, obviously, when they're toddlers, they're in that habit-forming stage. So you're going to say, don't say that. I'm not saying that. But as your kids mature, there needs to be maturity as well of, of bringing them to the place where they recognize that the Holy Spirit must convict them of their sin and the Holy Spirit must renew their thinking. I tell you, as we think about corrupt words, I think all of us have this sense of guilt upon us. There's, there's a, a righteousness in that, in that God says that he, Christ says that he will judge us by our words. Every person will stand before God. And what will come up on the screen, if you want to say it that way, what will come up is their sinful heart. And you know how God will prove that they are sinners? By the words they speak. But here, here's the thing we can rejoice in as Christians. And that is that if you're in Christ, and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what will come up is that Jesus paid for it all. He covered our sin with his blood on the cross. And so... We can declare this, because we believe in Christ, we are justified by his grace. It's a gift. And so now we trust the Lord in that and we ask for grace, continued grace to speak grace. And then let's do this last one here. We are to put on only speaking good, edifying, timely words. Notice verse 29 says, but only such as is good. The word good here is used in the account of the rich young ruler describing God as good. And so I think this word here speaks of the quality of our words, that our words must accurately reflect God. And then notice the aim, the target of our words. When our words are spoken, they should be trying to hit a target if you, if you shoot a gun or you shoot a bow, you're trying to hit the bullseye. So when we speak, what's the bullseye? Well, it's in verse 29. Only such as is good for building up, for edification. In fact, this is how we personally grow as individuals, but also as a church. Look in Ephesians 4, 12. Notice verse 12, Ephesians 4. This is speaking of the church. The saints, notice at the very end, the saints are to be building up the body of Christ. That's our job. Or how about in verse number 15? This is what we are to do as a church. 
We are to be speaking the truth in love. So, so here's the thing. We are to grow to, know Christ, to grow to be more like Christ by speaking to one another. We speak the truth, but we also do it in love. And so this is how we are to image Christ. The restoration of your mouth into the image of God is, is found right here as we aim to build people up, to, lo- to glorify God, to love other people by considering that person. How can God's grace flow through me so I can build that person up in Christ? Notice another word in here, the word only. This limits our words. This limits us to this proverb which says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. It's probably good for us sometimes just to keep our mouths mouths closed, right? But it's not just the restricting of don't say anything. No, God actually wants us to use our words to build people up. And so I think we should consider that. I mean, did you, did you walk in this room here this morning and was your thought, okay, who is that person that I can encourage today? Or even when you sat down next to this person, you looked at them and your thoughts were, how can I build them up in the Lord? What's, what's something I can say? And that might make you nervous because you're saying, I don't know what to say. Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, trust the Holy Spirit. And secondly, no one's looking for you to be very profound, just encouraging and so there could be a person in here and, and you need comfort. And we need to consider that. Proverbs says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. There are people in this room and you're depressed. Or you had a hard week and, and maybe even there is times where you're like, I just want to go to bed. But here's the proverb. It also says, but a good word makes it glad. And you might be thinking, I need that word. That's good. Praise God. But let's remember, we're not preaching to other people. We're preaching to you and to me. So that's our job. If, if you feel that way, maybe God wants you to take that step of you giving a good word to someone else. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. The, the scripture says that the word of Christ should dwell in us, in us so that we can admonish one another. We can, that is that we can speak truth to one another, then we can sing with grace in our hearts. You might have read the story before, the book about Pollyanna. You remember the book Pollyanna? It's like 120 years old, okay? I think it was written in 1910. Pollyanna, you know, she had the glad game. Remember that? Okay, there's a, I think there's a Disney movie too. I'm not certain how much that reflects the book. But anyways, and uh, Pollyanna, her father passed away, and she had to go live with someone else, and One day, Pollyanna was out, and she saw the local minister, and the local minister was depressed. He was downcast, as sometimes ministers can be. And so she played the glad game and started saying all the things that you should rejoice in. Now, if you read the book about Pollyanna, she's not just doing the glad game just to be glad. She's doing that because her dad taught her that. Her dad was a pastor, and her dad had times when he was discouraged. And he started studying the Bible all the places where the Bible says we're to rejoice, we're to be glad. And his conclusion is there's thousands of times we're to be glad. So if God commands us to be glad thousands of times, then we should be glad throughout our day. And so he taught her the glad game. And so as she looked at life, she just thought, well, what's the 
good thing in this? What's something we can be glad about? And so to this local minister, she said that. And you know what? She played this glad game with him and she encouraged him. And oh, that the Lord would give us hearts to be like Pollyanna. That here's a girl, think about that. Her father passed away. And what she did, instead of wallowing in her sorrow, the story goes that she went out and she encouraged others with the glad game. Christ has done so much for us. God's grace is so wonderful. And oh, church, if our hearts were truly filled up with the grace of God, wouldn't that be what pours out of our hearts? And the aim here is to build others up. And then notice the last thing is that it's supposed to be timely as fits the occasion. I love this little addition here. It's like it's got to fit the right moment. That there are certain words that are, it's not the time to say that. There are certain words that should be said at certain moments. I found if someone's suffering, especially if someone had a loved one pass away, that's usually the time to keep my mouth closed. I had a pastor that taught me that by his example, and I saw God use it. And not not because I don't want to be encouraging, but sometimes you don't know what to say. And sometimes the best thing to say to someone is, I'm praying for you. I love you. I don't have the answers, right? I'm not going to be able to, like, what's the answer that's going to solve? No, they said a loved one pass away. I love you. I'm praying for you. It's a timely word. It's sometimes when our kids are disobeying and Maybe in front of the whole group, that's not the time to rebuke them publicly, right? Maybe take them to the next room and and have a conversation with them. And so speak in a way that fits the occasion. Sometimes people, this is the last application I'll give, sometimes people think about it this way. They think, well, I just speak my mind. I just say whatever comes to my mind. I think this, this admonition here to speak in a timely way is, is that actually speaking your mind is not Christ-like. Sometimes what's on your mind shouldn't be said. And so that's not the standard. The standard for what I should say is not, well, it's the truth. I've heard people say that. Well, it's the truth, so it's not gossip. Was that the standard here? Is that the standard in Ephesians? No, it's, are you ministering grace? Does it build up? Or it's the truth, and I just got to say the truth. Well, actually, what's the standard here? Is it Is it fit the timing? Is this the right time for that? So may God renew our minds to think this way. And so let's conclude with how do we apply this to our life? First, I think we need to confess. Probably some of us in here need to think about some of those words that we've spoken to other individuals. And we need to go back to those individuals and say, when I spoke to you in that way, it was wrong, it was sinful, it came from a selfish heart. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Confess it to the Lord and trust that he forgives. Second, I think we need to consider how we can edify one another. Who in here in this room do you need to go talk to and build them up? Maybe there's someone in here, as you're exiting, you're going to say, what am I doing for lunch? I don't have anything. Maybe I can invite someone with me and I can just hear, how'd you come to faith in Christ? Like, what's, going, what's God doing in your life? Or maybe you want to have tea this week? I think most people like tea, right? You can have, want to have tea this week? Let's talk about what God's doing. Or maybe just writing a note and saying thank you. And last, I think here's the most important part. And please, if you go home with anything today, go home with this. And that is that the Holy Spirit must renew your thinking. And that is with this, that you have a mouth and you have the Holy Spirit to speak words of grace. May God so transform 
our hearts, that our mouths fit the purpose for which he gave us our mouths, and that is to minister grace to others. Let's pray.